And today's episode is uh, sponsored by the Bicycle Shop in <laughs> Toronto. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sons of Ignatius. I am Father Niall Leahy with you in Dublin, Ireland. And hello to my good friend and confrere, Father David Lugo. Hello, Dave. What up, buddy? I am here in Miami, Florida, but not for very long. I am soon to be disappeared. We're in Easter now, and Jesus says, "Soon I will not be with you." <laughs> yeah. And I, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm screaming from the rooftops here in Miami. Soon, soon you will not see me. But do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> it is good that I am going to Spain. Yeah, it, it is good that I'm going to Spain, and I will not leave you orphaned. I will leave yeah. something behind, I'm sure. Yeah. So, okay, so travel is afoot. Travel is afoot, yeah. So as we record this, we're nearing the end of the month of May, and I will be departing from this parish assignment at the very beginning of July. So I have just over a month left here at the parish. Okay, so you will be saying goodbye? Oh, yeah. A lot of goodbyes, a lot of goodbyes, many tears. Yeah, I'd say you were just sort of getting into your stride, Dave, and all of a sudden... Yeah, it's kind of what happens in our life. I mean, I, I have found this to be the case pretty much all of the time, whenever I make a transition in the society. The longest I've lived anywhere in the Society of Jesus has been three years, and it's always like, wow, that's way too short to like really <laughs> set down roots anywhere. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. this year was just, it was less than a year. It was 11 months, and it was fast, and it was good, and there was a lot of great you know work to be done, but it mm -hmm. was also... So, yeah, I don't know. It was too brief, too brief. But it was really good. It was really good. I mean, you, you knew from the outset that it was going to be a year, right? Yeah, I did. I did. That helped a little bit. But I yeah. got to tell you, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, but I do think that sometimes knowing that it's going to be short can sometimes motivate in me a lack of kind of uh, giving of myself. It's like, well, sure. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm only here for a few months, so why am I going to really, like, dedicate real energy into this? Whereas you knew that this podcast was going to last for years and years, so that's, <laughs> that's why you're all in with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you going to be at the parish, by the way, just really quick? Are you going to be there for another full year? Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm expecting to be here for at least another two years before I go to do tertianship, which is, you know, sort of our, our final stage of formation. So, yeah. So I'm expecting to be here. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really betting in here. All right. Very good. Very good. Things are coming together nicely, planning for the future. Very good. So in the um, in the interim of my travels, you may, for our listeners, you may listen to Father Niall at some point over the summer in my absence. Because <laughs> as I pack suitcases and move across the ocean, there's a good chance that my microphone will be buried away somewhere. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You're not going to be so available over the summer. But yeah, I'll, I, might, I might see if I can get some other Jesuits onto the podcast and uh, talk to them. Nice. That'll be good. That'll be good. So Dave, what are we talking about today? Well, we started our series on Catholic social teaching after we realized that Pastor Dobovovis, though great, could have mm -hmm. done a little bit more on the social dimension. And we spent mm -hmm. a whole episode on Laudato Si mm -hmm. and integral ecology. And that was really helpful. And we're going to move to a different pillar of Catholic social teaching today. And one, one thing I'm finding, Niall, as we plan this and talk about it, that these are all so related to each other, these themes of Catholic social teaching, that it's inevitable that we'll talk about other ones while we talk about each individual one. So like our original scheme, of doing four discrete themes may start to collapse very quickly because today we're going to be working working with we're going to talk about the the right uh, to work and the dignity of work mm -hmm. as a major pillar of Catholic social teaching but already embedded within it are other themes as well that we'll talk about right we're going to start off the conversation just by doing a, a little bit of theology just taking out some two theological principles that are 
prominent in Pope John Paul II's encyclical on work, which is called Laborum's Exorcens. So mm-hmm. the first of those principles is that man is made in the image and likeness of God. So you yeah. know, straight from Genesis and from the beginning, man is called to work and that yeah. work is one of the things that sets the human person apart. So God made the world, like created the world that was, you know, something like work for God. It was activity for God. And humans' work is in the image and likeness of of God's creative act. Right, right. So it is a a divine thing for people to work. That's right. It's not just a completely sort of secular activity. It's not just keeping busy. It is a call. It's something God created us to do. And by doing it, we reveal something of God. Sure. Sure. So yeah, this first theological aspect for the dignity of work is another major pillar of Catholic social teaching anyway, that sort of goes through every other theme, you know, when we started talking about different social issues like abortion or like integral ecology, like the death penalty, like sustainable development. The human person is there in the center as a primary concern and the mm-hmm. dignity of the human person made in the image and likeness of God. But the particular nuance that you're drawing on is that as it pertains to the question of human labor and as it pertains to the social question around human capital and labor and work, being made in the image and likeness of God as co-creators with God, co-laborers with God is more than just a consequence of the fall. So I think a lot of times we may read the Genesis account and say, well, you know, God punishes Eve with increased pains in childbirth and Adam, you know, has to toil for his daily bread. But, you know, the increase in toil for his daily bread is a consequence of the fall. But the work was already there before. He was already charged with being a steward over the garden and caring for and tilling the garden. Like, it's a pre-fall invitation and vocation for him to be a worker. And so what John Paul II, I think, is drawing on is that it is part of our dignity and not just part of our burden to be working things. Like, we are working animals. We do work. And, you know, so much of the rhetoric around work is that it's laborious, you know, literally, and it's also, you know, a heavy burden, but it's the grind of work. It's as the grind, to yeah. The dignity of work. Yeah, exactly. So we want to really focus on even in a pre-fall world, and now especially in a post-resurrection world, what role does work play in our dignity as sons and daughters of God? That instead of just seeing our work as a grind, how do we see it as something that is conducive to our dignity and rooted in that? But the justice question comes in where we have structures and markets and customs that are not really respectful of the human person, but that the human person then becomes a cog in a machine and then the work becomes oppressive. Yeah, so work systems, economic systems can make our work more like grind and drudgery rather than something which is, you know, inherently full of dignity and bringing the best out of us. Yeah, that's right. There are structures and and movements and cultures in the world which are making it more of a grind, which is beneath our human dignity. Just before we say more about that, Dave, you're on a roll here, so I want to keep you going. Could you just say something about St. Ignatius' view of God at work? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as we like to do to point out maybe some Ignatian themes that are helpful here, (laughs) I think, you know, maybe tongue in cheek, you know, Jesuits love to work and we're workaholics but that's not the point. The point is... <laughs> well, the good ones are anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. I'm not going to ask for your timesheet, Niall. I'm not going to ask yeah, to see how much yeah, work you did this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in our spirituality, you know, what, what in the spiritual exercises, as you and I have talked about many times over, is, you know, the four-week dynamics of the spiritual exercises, but it culminates in this contemplation at the very end of the exercises, the contemplation to attain God's love. And it's a really beautiful reflection because it speaks very eloquently about how God labors in creation. That God is not just some distant God watchmaker that, you know, sets everything in motion, but that all of creation is very much being brought into being and that God is very much at work 
in bringing about the good of creation. And that ties to another meditation that we do in the exercises with the incarnation that, you know, the Trinity is discussing amongst itself within itself, the situation of the world and decides to send the second person to work salvation. So to make and work salvation in the world. And so there's something really beautiful about, you know, the ongoing progressive tense of saving us and of creating us and then of redeeming us. And then the contemplation to attain love that the father, God himself is at work in the world constantly, you know, bringing about the vegetation, bringing about the good things of the world, but all the benefits that we receive in our life, that God is constantly yeah. at work and doing those, you know, that our God is not a God of distance. God is not just, you know, chilling out. God isn't just sitting back on his recliner, looking back at the world unfolding before him. He is actively engaged in the yeah. work of creation, redemption, glory, and totally still wholly invested in that whole process. Yeah, which is not an insignificant point. I just think that even most Christians, frankly, have a very deist view of God, that God is so distant from mm. the world and kind of disinterested, you know, maybe interested that we end up in the right place or follow a certain rule, but that God is like rolling up his sleeve and actively working in the world, not just as a thing in the world, but as the very principle of the world's existence, you know, that God is so intimately related to the world that he wants the world to move in a direction towards his glory. And God is intimately trying to do that. And, and then so the invitation to us is not just then to work hard, but to work with God who is working. That's right. That's right. You know, and so the call in the Gospels, you know, come with me, mm. see where I stay, to work with me, to be with me. Yeah. That invitation is very Ignatian, like in my own estimation of my own spirituality, but it's it's the Gospel. It's very much the Gospel. Yes. To be co-workers in the vineyard of the Lord. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the second theological principle, which is the priority of labor over capital. So again, this is John Paul II. You know, he's, he's writing in the context of communist Russia and, and the Eastern Bloc, yeah. and also the capitalist West. And both of those economic and social systems sort of find established different relationships between labor and capital. So in communism, labor is everything. And capital has very few rights, so to speak. It's the government that centrally plans where capital is invested. People have very little right to private property or to make profit. And it is understood that it's the work of the proletariat, the working people, that drives the economy forward. And then in the capitalist West, it's the other side that capital has lots of rights, and often the rights of capital seem to take precedence over the rights of labor. So hmm. two different relationships between labor and capital. And John Paul II says that the church's position is that both labor has rights and capital, you know, has, has rights. I don't know if that's the right term or not, but there is legitimate use of capital as well, and capital can earn a return. But human labor does take priority over capital. Right. So it's not that capital isn't important or capital can't do things, but that labor is more important. Just to explain to our, our listeners as well, what is capital, Dave, when we're talking about capital? What is that? Yeah, that's a good question. And I do struggle a little bit with the distinction. And so it's helpful for me to think about it in terms of the labor versus capital, thinking in terms of the difference between workers and the organism in which they work or contribute to or the means of production and right. all of the stuff that is implied. So the money and the stuff. The money and the stuff. The money and the stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, especially yeah. in the West, I think your distinction is helpful. Like, in the West, you know, when we think about a capital-driven market, it's like, well, the human person is not at the center of that. The human person is very much an agent, but 
What is important for investors is the money, the money and the stuff that's implied. That's way more important and valuable than the worker themselves. And right. so the difference between the person who works and the thing produced. And so if the yes. thing produced by the workers is more important than the workers themselves, then we have a capital over labor mentality. Right. Whereas if the labor is more important than the workers themselves, then workers' rights are enshrined. You know, And so yes. that distinction it needs to find a healthy balance because we can teeter on either extreme You know, between a caricature yeah. of the West or of the, of the East. And the hope is obviously that when you take care of your workers and you prioritize labor, well, then you have happy workers who are productive, who yeah. then are very good at making stuff and profitably for the business owner. So again, it's not saying that workers can just kick back and relax or take it easy. Like, no, it is assumed that workers will be productive and their work will be profitable. Yeah. As we're talking about this now, I'm thinking to myself, what does this have to do with you and me? So like you and I are not working okay. in factories. You and I don't have jobs in the same conventional sense. So like you and I work at a parish, mm -hmm. like maybe there's a way in which I could glean from this some sort of life lesson of, you know, I need to take care of myself. Like I'm very much self-employed. I think about that as a parish priest, like I'm kind of self-employed. I kind of make my own schedule and I mm -hmm. kind of do my own thing. And, you know, maybe a way in which this distinction between labor and capital takes root in my own vocation as a priest and as a religious in a parish is I need to give myself time off and not be so concerned with like how many hours and how many people and how many confessions did I, you know, accomplish or achieve today? But instead of like, am I taking care of myself? Is this a relationship that's healthy or am I being ground underneath production? You know, like I'm a priest that produces a lot of stuff. Yes. One way that I apply it to my life, you know, also there's the like, I care about people who work too, but. Yeah, so just to give an example, very recent example, this is our second effort at recording this episode. Last week, both of us <laughs> came to the microphone quite tired and fatigued and yeah. worn out from our work. And after, I don't know, five minutes and a couple of technical hitches, I just said, Dave, let's just leave it this week. We are not in the right place <laughs> to do this. Right. And right. I think that was a really good decision. And you said, yes. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're not in a fit state <laughs> to do this. So yeah, we were prioritizing ourselves, our labor over us as, as laborers over, you know, the task of what we were meant to do. And uh, sometimes you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Got to give yourself a break. Yeah, absolutely. We have rights too, Dave. We have rights too. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> Defending priest rights. That could be a new, could be a absolutely, new, new absolutely. It's important just because like within our vocation, we don't, I think, talk about work as a nine to five. You know, I think we talked about this a few months ago is that we, we tend to think of our lives as ministry and which is good and healthy, but it's also, it can be an all encompassing reality. And so there's good, there's a good lesson here of like, my invitation is to work with God, not to replace mm. God, but mm. to be a co-worker. And mm. so if God is the principal agent of the work that we do in our ministry, then I should feel complete freedom to take a step back and say, wait a minute, why am I feeling so beholden to like always being available, always being on and achieving more and producing more and all that. It's like that mentality is very much a capital driven mentality where it's about production. Produce more. Yeah, produce more. And in the West, especially like this is such a mentality where it really gets even into my priesthood where I think I need to produce more, make more, mm -hmm. more podcasts, mm -hmm. more homilies, be more available. But that mentality is very exhausting and it can be very draining. And the human person is then dislocated from the center and it's now like from the center of concern of his dignity to now right. just like how much stuff can be produced. Yeah. And like even God took a break on the seventh day. So, you know, yeah, I think uh, we should we should probably give a shout out here to Father Fred Chung, who taught us Old Testament in Toronto. Father Fred yeah. in St. Augustine Seminary and 
Father Fred was always adamant about respecting the Sabbath and taking a day off, mm. even if it wasn't Sunday. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just have a day off. So important. That was one of his. And I think he used to enjoy his day off by by playing curling. Is that right? Is that <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was his thing. Anyway, okay. So there we are. We have our we have our two theological principles that man is called to work because he is made in the image and likeness of God and a human person and the priority of labor over capital. Then drawing on those two theological principles, Laborum Exercens highlights two, or we're going to look at anyway here at, at two issues or two two sort of sets of issues that flow from that theology. The first is defending workers' rights, and workers have several rights, numerous rights. And just to mention three here, first of all, working conditions, the right to have decent mm-hmm. and safe working conditions. Second, the right to have some job security. And third, the right to unionize. Mm. We can go through these and mentioning these three issues as Catholics we can really get behind yeah you know the purpose of this podcast is to expand on uh, the mission of the church and the mission of Catholics and again these are three causes that Catholics can sort of proudly get yeah. behind yeah so the first yeah is working conditions you know when Pope Leo the 13th penned the first sort of modern social encyclical rerum novarum one of the big issues at the time was the unsafe working conditions in factories in the new industrial world and so many people were and children as well not just adults uh, were being injured and even killed in their workplace so the church wanted to come out and say something strong about this things did drastically improve and you know the church was part of that social progress but there's still work to be done there Mm. you know a lot of big factories now are in the far east and sure sure there's maybe perhaps less oversight there and some of these sweatshops than we care to admit yeah you know i was gonna say before you started with the working condition i was gonna say you and i aren't like we mentioned before we're not in the workplace in the same way and so like not just that catholics should care about these issues but that these are issues that catholics can very much like live in their in their day-to-day life like if you're finding yourself in a working condition that's less than optimal like this is an issue of equity and justice for our faith and not just for like good business practice and so the, the working condition one is interesting for me because in the united states we know we don't have any sweatshops per se i mean there may be a way in which you can say that people have very much inadequate, you know, compensation for their work and all that. But I was thinking, you know, in very much the developing world, sweatshops are still a thing. But, you know, COVID is an interesting example of this one in our contemporary context is that my mom, for example, she retired early because her place of employment was requiring her to work in the middle of the pandemic, exposing her to a virus that she was not going to be able to safely work under because she wow. had pre-existing conditions and she found herself having to choose between working and living. <laughs> And so like the working conditions are not just, you know, thinking in terms of sweatshops, that's obviously a really important one, but even the contemporary context with the pandemic, how many people are being obligated to go back to work where they don't necessarily feel safe at work because work isn't providing the necessary means of protection, you know, from contamination. And it's interesting because I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence from people saying that their bosses are insisting that they go back into the office almost arbitrarily. And it's like, well, is this a safe working condition for me? And I have a right to be safe where I work, you know? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's just basic. It's just something we take for granted. And yet when employers see their staff or their workers as purely just a means to an end and a yeah. means 
to make profit that's when if that culture sets in and that mindset sets in well then it's very hard to fight back against that and say no hang a second i matter too my welfare matters too Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know and you and i as a priest in a parish like we have employees and so are you and i providing healthy working conditions and not just safe but are they healthy are they conducive are they human working conditions you know are the hours that we as employers are asking of our employees are they just and are they good working conditions and i can't say that they always are based on what i've seen at least in this parish sometimes i wonder if we a little bit take advantage of people's generosity i think one of the other modern contemporary manifestations of this is the phenomenon of the well it started with the blackberry which having your emails on your phone and you know i think in a lot of professional firms once your employer gave you say a blackberry or or an iphone or something or a smartphone where you could access your emails it was assumed that you would then always be available that you couldn't say on monday morning sorry i didn't see that email on you know on sunday morning or on saturday night and he's like no you have a smartphone we know you got that email why didn't you do the work he's like well because it's the weekend you know (laughs) right 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 so again and it's just that those working conditions starting to slide and you know and it's right i think for employees to kind of fight back against that and say you know just because i'm not available 24 7 doesn't mean that you know i shouldn't be promoted or you know i shouldn't get my bonus bonus or whatever mm-hmm. anyway so that's yeah i think that we're seeing that kind of work let's say yeah seeping into your home time and your, and your private time yeah so really quick yeah before we move away from this topic though i want to ask you though what are your thoughts on like the pandemic has in a real way changed the game at least i see this a lot in the united states where the way in which employers are expecting people to stay at work even if they're not at work is bleeding over and it's blurring the lines between personal and professional. So, so many people working from home for, you know, for so many months and not wanting to go back into the office, frankly, and maybe even being more efficient at their house. I found this in my own experience is that if I'm working from home, I end up working a lot more just because I don't have the clear separation, the commute, you know, the change in wardrobe, the change in environment. And so it's a way in which maybe like, maybe my question for you, Niall, is do you see a value in having a work place that is distinct from your living space to help maintain working conditions as apart from living conditions. Because without that separation, I find that a lot of us maybe get a little bit too comfortable in working nonstop just because I wake up and I make my coffee and now I'm checking my email, you know? Ooh, coffee. <laughs> You've distracted <laughs> me by mentioning coffee. No, I do. Okay, so here's, here's a slightly funny take on that question. The strong separation between domestic space and productive workspace is quite a modern and contemporary development and phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it really was the Industrial Revolution and the advent of factories that really brought a lot of industry and work out of the home in the first place. So this is going back, you know, 200 years. Before then, the home was an economic space. Like, Mm. there was a lot of work, productive, profitable work done at home, growing food, educating children. Uh, making things you know tools say in the i'm going to say like the garden shed or or, you know the workspace growing things in the garden etc so i'm seeing the the move of work back into the home as almost sort of like going full circle on that wow okay for 200 years there it was it was the norm for all work and productive work to take place outside of the home yeah and then for the home to be you know for all the production to happen outside of the home and then for all the consumption to happen in the home. So the home is basically this place where you just 
consume you know the fruits of your labor where you use the stuff that you've bought and now i think it's really interesting that the home is becoming the domestic space is becoming economically productive space again yeah i'm not going to call it either way i find that really interesting and i wonder have we done a full turn of the wheel sure sure maybe the the one difference perhaps is that before people moved into the factories were they working at home under the tutelage or the authority of somebody else or were they self-sustaining you know, employees of their own farm and of their own industry. Maybe I don't have a clear conception of what work was like in the home before, but I have this maybe sort of rosy imagination of like tending to my own crops, tending to my own cattle, tending to my own things. And so like working at home, I was my own boss. It was also a community enterprise because Hmm. your neighbors would also enlist your help to whatever, take in the harvest or to build a house or or whatever it was. I think it was quite cooperative as well. So anyway, okay, let's not go down that rabbit hole too far. Sure, Uh, sure, 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 sure. Okay, because I want to keep moving. But that's really interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, Second rights issue is job security. So uh, one of the big issues over here at the moment is zero hour contracts. What is that? So a zero hour contract is where in some way you are contracted to work for somebody, for a company, but it's sort of on a day by day basis and hmm. they can cut that contract at any point. But because it's zero hours, you basically have to do all the work of an employee, but you don't get the benefits such as holidays or pension or job security even that you'll never get like a a permanent contract they could just let you go at any time and you're basically self-employed in a way so you you would see a lot of delivery services now because you know we're increasingly buying things online and they're being delivered to us a lot of these guys driving delivery vans sort of have to show up every day and you know work sort of grueling hours but they can never just say oh i've two weeks of vacation now because when they come back somebody else may come and say oh well this guy's doing your right now so tough it's not work there. really wow so like so they're working they're working without any contract they want to keep their job they had to continually become available and be available to work yes at all times yeah so I'm, I'm quite suspicious now when i see you know when you see the delivery costs with your online purchase if that's really cheap in the back of my mind i'm thinking okay some poor man or woman is kind of slavishly having to deliver this stuff and without much job security perhaps or without good employment conditions so yeah just keep an eye out for that ken loach is a british filmmaker and he made a film about this recently about a a married couple he was a a delivery guy you know driving a van and his wife was a care assistant in the home Uh, so you know caring for people in their homes and both of them had similar employment contracts and just sort of detrimental for their personal lives and family lives and everything and their health wow so anyway i imagine so like so this is quote unquote legal i guess just because a person can choose not to work under those conditions yeah (laughs) so yeah but it's bizarre just because if the person is needing to work and that's all they can get employed by then they have no benefits and they have no job security that's incredible i'd never heard of this yeah the movie is called sorry we missed you wow yeah it's tough again it's a hard one to watch ken loach is known for making these sort of gritty painfully honest uh, movies shining a light on an area of of life that people otherwise wouldn't see so there's nothing romantic about it anyway just yeah for anyone interested in that maybe i could see the value of that kind of employment as a one-off thing so like i I have a stable job and i also have a you know a good set of skills i'm not currently using at the church for example that i could use as a one-off thing like if say if you ask me to 
coach a baseball team or if you ask me to produce a certain music album or something like that and I have those skills and it's a temporary discrete thing and there's no need to have a contract and you promise to pay me a certain thing or whatever but like I'm not employed like long term like maybe okay I can see how there's no real need to make this convoluted and have any sort of job security I don't need you to give me job security I already have it on the side but if that's my only way of building a livelihood well that is putting myself in tremendous vulnerability you know where I don't have that kind of uh, safety net of saying that I have rights over my employer and I guess that's the bottom line is that the worker should have rights even over their employer right and so one of the we move on to the third issue now one of the ways that employees individual employees can assert their rights and negotiate for them is by unionizing by forming trade mm. unions and again, John Paul II and the church's Catholic social teaching asserts that right to form trade unions so that they can enter into collective bargaining with employers and guard against, you know, such exploitation. Again, mm. it, I think it's something which is, I think, growing up for me was just taken for granted. My father was an active member of his teacher's union, trade union. Mm -hmm. But it was funny, when, when I started working for a professional services firm, in the induction, it was kind of said to us, okay, well, obviously you can join a union if you want but why would you? Really? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, our rights weren't being, it was not as if it was a bad workplace. It wasn't, it, but it was just, the culture was very much work hard and, and get rewarded and bonus culture, etc. But, you know, in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, okay, I don't need to unionize here, but it would, you know, some people really do. And some people yeah. are in danger of being exploited. Yeah, just I was I was a bit uncomfortable about the trade unions just being you know seen as as not so important or superfluous, sure, or a luxury or something like that. It's like no, it's it's really important for some workers to unionize because yeah. maybe they just they aren't articulate themselves. They need people who have a strong voice to speak on their behalf. Hmm. Yeah. So there's two other Catholic social teaching principles maybe embedded within that. And it's the principle of solidarity and cooperation. And it's to say that we have a certain responsibility to care for those who are in need themselves, but maybe can't appeal for themselves. And so having solidarity with those people whose rights are also in jeopardy and then cooperating with them, you know, for the sake of the common good. And so unions are a good ex expression of that on a very local level of saying that if I work for this company, there are other people in a similar boat as me. And mm. some may or may not have as much, you know, faculty of speech or faculty of thought or faculty of you know, of boldness to be able to speak up, you know, about their needs. And so we can collectively bargain and we can collectively come together to cooperate for the sake of our common good, you know. Yeah. And so it seems like a really beautiful expression of that. And it takes a lot of courage to make that first step. Like imagine if you are an employee of Starbucks or Amazon, you're working in an Amazon warehouse and you know that, you know, your local and, and regional manor managers really don't want you and your colleagues to form a union. Well, are you going to be the person who's going to, you know, stick your neck, neck out above the parapet and say, perhaps risk being, I, I'm not going to say coerced, but uh, you wouldn't exactly be, you know, employee of the month. Uh, <laughs> if you're, you're the guy saying, no, we're going to unionize and, and demand higher wages or something like that. Wow, right. Right. So that's going on at the moment in both of those companies, yeah. you know, both sides, let's say one side representing capital and profit, the other representing labor. Exactly. You know, trying to strong arm the other or to leverage their power and, you know, dirty tricks can come into it. So it does take a lot of courage and a willingness to sacrifice one's own individual well-being to make that move and hmm. to kind of galvanize your, your co-workers and to form a union. It's not easy. Yeah. So Niall, are you interested in starting a priest union? Are we thinking about that? Is that something that you'd like to do? Would you like to unionize? <laughs> um, that did not cross my mind. I have <laughs> quite enough on my plate as it is, Dave. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I enjoy my rights. I think my rights are fine, but I, you know, we'll think about <laughs> yeah. that. We'll think about yeah, that for yeah. a future episode if we can design yeah, yeah. a priest union. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if any, if you listeners have any ideas on that, hello at sonsofignatius.com. <laughs> Dave will be more than happy to answer answer your emails on that. All of your questions. Uh, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So okay, we've we've looked at three issues uh, around workers' yeah. rights, uh, working conditions, job security, and the right to unionize. And the other sort of field that JP two brings up in Laborum Exercens is promoting new ownership structures. So again, mm. there is this tension between the interests of labor, of people, of workers, and the interests of capital. And one way of aligning both of those interests is to actually restructure how companies are owned. Mm. So I'll just read from Laborum Exercens. In light of the above, the many proposals put forward by experts in Catholic social teaching and by the highest magisterium of the church take on special significance. Proposals for joint ownership of the means of work, sharing by the workers in the management and or profits of businesses, so-called shareholding by labor, etc. So there have been numerous experiments, let's call them that, in companies where the workers take on a share of ownership in the company, in the enterprise, which means that they have a voice or an input into how the business is run, which is that's normally left to the owner to decide, you know, what strategy right. is or, or what activities they undo or do not undertake. And also so in the running of the business and also in the sharing of profits. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, the yeah. assumption is that if you're an employee, well, then you get your agreed wage, regardless of how profitable the company is or is not you just get the same your salary and the pope is saying that well no if you if you allow employees workers to actually own a little bit of the business well then they can also receive increased profits when the business is doing sure. well yeah and you know I, this idea has been very much put into practice i think especially in the west you know with the trade markets and all that and it's very much part and parcel of like a diverse portfolio for a lot of people who try to make it you know in the world mm. but i got to think about this in terms of like on a very micro level there's great wisdom behind this that's not just economic. The economic wisdom is clear that there's incentive to receive more wage if Mm -hmm. you're a shareholder. But I would even say on a micro level, this is going to be a silly example, but bear with me for a second. In our houses of religious life, we have common property. And so we have common spaces, we have common vehicles, we have common capital, common goods. We have things that we have and we hold in common. Mm -hmm. And typically the care for those things is delegated to one of the members of the community. And in the absence of that kind of delegation and ownership and shared ownership of those things, the things often become uncared for and often become sullied or they become broken. And so what ends up happening is that if I have a stake in caring for these things because I have a shared ownership of these things and so like I'm in charge of caring for our kitchen, well, actually the kitchen itself then is going to flourish more so than it would have if nobody had responsibility. So even as like a worker in this context, by analogy, I can actually help contribute to increased returns on our investment if I have a sense of ownership of what it is. You know, so like my ownership over our house and it's not just like, well, someone else is going to be responsible for this. I just come in and punch in my card and I punch out. Well, then I may not actually find myself as invested because I'm not an owner. I'm not a part owner of this. And so it actually even contributes to the human development of belonging, of a social component where ownership contributes to maybe even capital long term. I My sense right. of ownership makes me more proud of what I do. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself from last week, but the difference in the culture and the atmosphere between the farmer's market where there are so many small growers and sellers engaging with their clients, their customers, that farmer's market in Toronto was just so alive, was so much life 
yeah. there compared to going into you know Walmart or your large retailer where the person actually selling you the goods has had no input into the production and does not benefit at all from really from the sale and you know, it's lifeless in a way you know it's mm-hmm. just perfunctory you know scanning the items taking your money thank you goodbye so the less people are in workers are invested in I say the production process but also from the benefits of the rewards of the sales well then it becomes a little bit less human I think right that's exactly right and if we want it to be a human enterprise the dignity of the human person and all that going back to what we started with ownership is a big part of that you know when God creates Adam and Eve and he makes them stewards over the garden it's not just like hey you guys are here like this is my space don't make it all messy and stuff it's like no no this is our space we live here we moved into this space and God has given us dominion over this space not to dominate it but to care for it and to tend to it and it's a really beautiful invitation in our own workspace too by analogy that are we stewards of what we've been trusted to by virtue of our employment or are we just cogs in the machine and I really don't care about keeping the workplace tidy or burning the midnight oil or anything like that if I don't really have a stake in it there's a real Mm. benefit of having stake ownership Mm -hmm. in the enterprise because it actually contributes some of that human dignity, you know, that we're owners of the garden and we're not just people who occupy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one little sort of example of this as well is just like tip culture. When waiters and waitresses are, you know, basically living on their tips, even though in in one way they're an employee, in another way they're self-employed. They have to deliver the food, et cetera, or the drinks. But they know themselves that like the friendly they are to their customers, the more tips they're going to get. And they really do sort of invest themselves in their work of serving then yeah rather than just like getting a wage i think the restaurant and you know the hospitality industry understands that it's like the more that the employee is, is invested in it the more they can personally benefit from it the, the more they will give of themselves and that's ultimately what customers are looking for yeah oh absolutely the customer experience is way better when it's like a human face and a human yeah rather than just like you were saying like i hate going to walmart walmart is a horrible place for me to go i don't yeah. enjoy it at all it's so yeah. impersonal and it's so massive i feel like i feel like i'm in a freaking warehouse that's just like all right next you know like cattle yeah. shopping yeah so I remember in Toronto as well, there was a really nice bicycle shop near our house which was employee owned uh, so mm. you know they publicized this was how they sold themselves a little bit um, but as soon as you walked in there no matter who you were dealing with you knew you were dealing with not just one of the employees but one of the owners of this business and wow. you know yeah. they're really going to give you a good service and want you to have a good experience there because it's their business so you had exactly 10 or a dozen I don't know business owners all serving you it was a great bicycle store I have to say yeah, we did positive experiences there. And today's episode is uh, sponsored by the Bicycle Shop in <laughs> Toronto. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, there you go. The, anyway, these are all just ideas which the church is trying to promote and for the interests of workers and labor, but also that it will be sustainable and profitable economically too. Yeah, you know, okay, so just before we go, you know, I'll just name a few takeaways for me as I, you know, when we talked about the integral ecology, I mentioned how it's easy for me to talk about this stuff and then just sort of hang up the phone and go back mm. to my daily life, you know? Mm-hmm. I think one of, the, one of my takeaways is my own thinking about a couple things as a priest like how I preach about workers rights I don't at all like I don't preach about integral ecology you know with all the stuff happening in the news all the time around unionizing at Amazon unionizing at Starbucks all these questions around you know the flux in the stock market am I at all even in tune with any of that as a priest who's going to be preaching to my people you know with their own particular worries and woes like that's one takeaway. The other takeaway is like my own, you know, work-life balance and thinking about my relationship to the Sabbath day and taking time off. 
But then the other thing is to, you know, do I have a responsibility as a priest in this neighborhood to be in tune with how are people employed here? And are there healthy business practices for my own parishioners where they in their place of employment? And do I have a certain responsibility to advocate on their behalf? And I just have no idea because I don't really plug into that aspect. I just very much live in my silo, you know, here in the church. Well, yeah, I mean, the hard thing as well is that a lot of these issues tend to be hidden. You know, when, when there's something unjust or evil going on in the world, you know, it tends to be hidden. You know, no, no, nobody wants to sort of display that. So by its very nature, evil tends to hide and it's hard for us to see it. You know, I think for all our listeners, when you're choosing what companies and businesses you shop from, I think it, it's really good to be asking, right, well, how do they treat their employees and the people they contact? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you do need to search a little bit. And then to, you know, so for example, I, I have big issues with how Amazon run their business and treat their employees. Right. And okay, all I can say is okay, sometimes the only way I can buy what I'm looking for is on Amazon and I just, okay, I kind of hold my nose and I do it, but I am actively looking for alternatives and finding mm. them. So anyway, there you go. That, that's, I suppose that's my takeaway. No, that's good. No, that's great, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cool, buddy. Well, this has been very good, very illuminating for me. And I'm not sure where we're going to go next as far as the Catholic social teaching principles. There's many to look at and we'll see where our next episode takes us. Great. Okay. I look forward to it, Dave. Pleasure to talk as always. All right, buddy. Take care. Peace. Bye. Thank you.